got a story I've been waiting to tell Got a cluster of dreams Like coins in a well Can you hear the sound? All the scratching pens Blind as a bat Drawn a road map Not sure where it ends Welcome to Once Upon a Podcast. I'm executive producer Ronnie Weiss. This week's episode is delinquent. We have three one-shot pieces for you, the beginning of a serialized piece, and an original song by Dan Olmshank. And now, Young and the Spork, written by Matt Bernhard. So as I was explaining to the colloquium, every single human impulse can be understood through the psyche. And the psyche is merely id, ego, and superego. That can't possibly explain it all away. What about consistent misstructures in separate systems? What about the collective unspoken impulses? Id, ego, superego. That's it. I'll hear no more dissent. But Sigmund, surely you've read my recent work on recurring archetypes. I mean, there... Enough! Carl, you're a delightful young child of a man, but what right have you, a mere psychiatric doctor with one published work under his belt, to criticize or second-guess mine intellect? Am I not Sigmund Freud, the greatest and most progressive mind in all of Vienna? Am I not your superior in every conceivable standard? These malleable and unformed theories of yours are poppycock, sir. Pure and indefensible poppycock. Sigmund, you're shouting. I don't care who hears me. So-called Jungian psychology is poppycock and balderdash. Gentlemen. I apologize for the wait. I've half a mind to give you a well-deserved tongue lashing. But this Borsch looks appealing enough, so I'll retire to mine cops. <laughs> wait a minute. You, wait. What is the meaning of this? This is the meaning of what, good sir? Don't play the innocent with me. What on earth are these offensive implements? That is a spork, good sirs. A spork? It resembles both a spoon and a fork. Is this... Plastic, you impertinent young troll! A spork indeed, good sirs. The finest in all Vienna. Some sporks aren't shallow enough, can't hold liquids proper. For others, the exact opposite is true. This tine is too small or undeveloped to successfully stab or lance denser food items. But these are balanced and well-defined for both intents and purposes. Run home, foul youth, and slap your mother for giving birth to you. I should beat you this very moment were it not illegal. Sporks. Sporks! Of course! Sir? Hmm. Carl? Sigmund! Don't you see? Sporks! This tips me off to it all. You take a spoon, all right? That's all to the one side. It's here on the far right of the spectrum. The spoon laps up its target in the gentlest of kisses. It is willing, supplicating, and content to be so. Dare I say, feminine. We shall call it introverted. The fork, on the other hand, stabs, it penetrates, it takes what it wants, and it too is content to be so. Not unlike yourself and other extroverts. It lives here on the far left side of the spectrum. 
As the one gets closer to the center and beyond, it loses not only its efficiency, but its sense of self and purpose. We all exist on the spectrum where we must, depending upon our social programming. If you're too much fork and not enough spoon, or too much spoon and not enough fork, you're plagued by internal conflict. I've cracked it, Sigmund. I really have. You've cracked up, you mean. No, introversion and extroversion, the cornerstone upon which I will build my studies. This could lead to scores of exciting avenues. It peers into the history of the species segment, opening the doors to how we all aristocrats and natives alike think. What program pools we draw from in our collective unconscious, and all because of this daring young man and his wonderful spark. I didn't really make the sparks or anything. I'm just a guy. Carl, you may have won the day with your fancy thoughts and dreams, but I warn you, my brilliance is unquestioned, and you will rue the day you saw fit to challenge it. A spork! Damnedest thing I ever heard! As far as things to base your understanding of human psychology on, it certainly beats repressed last for your own mother! Oh, yeah? What about this? Ooh. How dare you, sir! Oh, oh I got. Oh, ow! Why oh, my face! Go! Oh. That was Young and the Spork, written by Matt Bernhard, starring John Bell, Michael Rosenblum, and Mark Turetsky. And now, The Delinquent Gentleman, written by Matt Langford. Good morning, Constable. Good morning, Madam. How can I help? Well, um, this is a little awkward, actually. I, I think I'd like to report a crime. I see. A robbery, in fact. About half an hour ago on Ashtree Lane. Okay, and were you the victim of the robbery, or are you reporting it for somebody else? Oh, no. It happened to me. Look, I've got a graze on my knee. So you have. Dave, put the tea on hold a minute. I've got a pointer. So did you get a look at your attacker, Mrs...? Hutch. Maddie Hutch. Well, yes, of course. Was there anything distinctive about him or her that you would be able to recognise? Well, he was an elderly gentleman. Elderly? Yes, around 65, 70, I'd say. He was wearing a smart, pinstripe suit with a red carnation in the lapel. A red carnation, you say? I see. Any other unusual features that would help our officers identify your attacker? Not really. He did have grey hair. That's uh, very helpful, thank He was ever so polite. A real gentleman. Except, of course, for the... Robbery, yes. So what happened exactly? Well, it all started about an hour ago when I was carrying the box along Ashtree Lane. I was about to turn the corner into Dover Street when I stumbled and dropped the box. Ouch! Oh, goodness me! Are you okay, my love? Here, let me help you with that. Oh, thank you. Wretched thing. I wish I'd never started all this. It does look like a very heavy box. I was watching you from the other side of the road. What have you got on there? Oh, it's difficult to explain. And anyway, it's more the size and shape than the weight. It's so awkward. I can help you if you like. Really? Would you? Certainly. 
I was only out for a quick stroll before lunch. I have plenty of time to help and only too happy to. I come from a generation where you help your fellow citizens, treat others as you wish to be treated. None of this look after number one nonsense. Community, mutual respect. That's what's missing in this country today, respect. So yes, I'd be happy to help you, Mrs. Hutch, Maddie Hutch. Mrs. Hutch, wonderful. I tell you what, you go and hold on to the front of the box and I'll walk behind you and take the back. Oh, thank you so much. No problem. Now, just turn round, face the opposite direction, and that's it. Now bend with your knees, lower yourself a bit more. Perfect. Now, with your hands out behind you, get ready to grasp the box when I tell you. Oh, you're so kind. What is your name? I tell you what, I'll tell you my name if you tell what's in the box. Well, I don't, um... Ouch! You hit me! Ouch! Sorry, I hope I didn't hurt you, but I must bid you good day, Mrs. Hutch. Remember to be a good citizen, and God bless. Everything went a bit woozy for, well, I don't know how long. When I came to, the box was gone. So, let me get this straight. We're looking for an elderly, grey-haired gentleman wearing a smart, pinstripe suit with a red carnation in the buttonhole, who will be struggling with a large cardboard box. That's him. And our officers are to approach him with caution, as he is liable to be extremely courteous and or civic-minded. Well, yes, but are you making fun of me? Not at all, Mrs Hutch. Well, it will be a difficult one for us. You have to understand, no officer likes to feel geriatric collar. But he attacked me! Hmm, of course. So what was in the box? Well, I'm not sure how to answer that. It's all a bit embarrassing. Go on. Well... I've been house-sitting and dog-walking for a friend this past week. She's away with the Royal Ballet Tour performing La Bayadere in Munich. Anyway, to cut a long story short, the dog was looking a bit peaky yesterday, so I took him to the vet's on Dover Road for a check-up. Well, the vet was very charming and gave me some pills to put in the dog's food, which I did last night. Let me guess. You woke up this morning and found the dog had passed away. You stuck him in the box with the intention of taking it to the vet until our delinquent gentleman showed up. Well, not exactly, Constable. Oh, I see. So what happened? It wasn't the dog that passed away. No? It was the hamsters. Well, I, um, I see. The dog must have had a bit of a funny turn, what with the medication, and attacked poor Gerard, Jamie and Fernando during the night. The poor little things never stood a chance. How tragic. But I don't understand why you use such a large box. Well, there was Robbie and Michael as well. And they were? Rats. I see. And then, of course, there was Bruce, Alan, Ian, Ronnie, Phil, Pepe, Mark, Bill and Kenny. Uh. Terrapins. Terrapins, of course. Then there was the 79 European Cup winning squad, the double winning squad and Shankly's heroes. Fish? How did you guess? A hunch. The Tarantulas. Or the Three Steves, as Felicity liked to call them. Felicity's my neighbour. Of course. 
And finally, there was poor Barnes and Beardsley. <coughs> Were they smaller dogs by any chance? No. Barnes was the rattlesnake, and Beardsley was the... was the kitten. Um, where's the dog now? Asleep. Naturally. So there you have it. What happens now? I'll get CID onto it. Oh, thanks. Just one question before we proceed, Mrs Hutch. Oh, yes, what's that? What are you going to tell your friend when she gets back from holiday? I don't know. I hadn't thought that far ahead. What do you suggest? That was The Delinquent Gentleman, written by Matt Langford, starring Alexia Hodgson, Gordon Allen, and Ken Cohen. And now, Be Yourself, written by Danielle View. The supermarket is now closing. Please proceed to check out. The supermarket is now closing. Please proceed to check out. I'm sorry, madam, but I think you still have something in your shopping bag. It's okay. You can still take it out and put it out on the desk. No problem. Madam, sorry. I just have to... Why do you have to do this to me just before closing time? Do you think I want to stay here after bloody work hours? Madam, would you mind listening to me? The alarm is going to ring anyway, and they have cameras everywhere. Stupid old hag. Madam, open your bag, will you? It's that boy over there. What boy? That young man in the baggy pants and cap. What about him? He put it into my bag. He put what into your bag? That CD. This CD? Why would anyone in their right mind put a Dvorak CD in an old lady's bag? I'm not that old. And it's Dvorak. Who's Dvorak anyway? Never heard of him. I like Dvorak. I hope so. He just got you into real trouble. That boy got me into real trouble, not Dvorak. He must have wanted to steal it. Then he realized he was being watched. And he got rid of it by putting it into my bag. A delinquent, eh? Exactly. There he is, walking toward us with that innocent expression on his young delinquent face. I'm sure you'll sort everything out. If not... I'll have to complain to management. Madam, I'm sorry to tell you, but that boy works for management. Oh, I see. A cop. A bloody fucking traitor to his class. That's it, then. Take me to jail. I'll serve my sentence for the sake of art in general and music in particular. It's nice of you to drive me home. Don't mention it. You didn't have to. Really, it's my pleasure. Uh, continue going straight? Yes. Do you always drive delinquent old ladies back home? <laughs> Only when they used to be my teacher. Your teacher? Oh, what's your name? Do you remember all your students' names? No, actually I don't. But when I hear one again, it sometimes rings a bell. You'd be surprised at the tricks memory can play when you grow older. I'm Lynn. Leonard. Leonard Braggio. Leonard Braggio. Yes, I do remember you, I think. A thin boy, 
with a passion for detective stories. Turn right at the next traffic light, please. Don't remember much about any passion for classic literature, though. I didn't like the classics much. But I started to like modern poetry during the year that I spent in your class, and you're partly responsible for it. I still remember that lesson when we chose a poem and had to find some music and read the poem to the class with the music in the background. Yes, I remember now. You did that Adrian Henry text and you chose saxophone music. It was quite a surprise. Next one on the left, please. I write poems myself now. When you're not arresting old ladies? <laughs> exactly. Not much work around these days. Can't afford to be choosy. Poetry doesn't feed its man, does it? We're almost there. I also write drama and novels, but... Uh, you live here? No, a little further. Little Leonard is a writer, then? And what's Mrs. Nancy Miller's occupation, if I may ask? Retired 13 years ago, two years after we met. Didn't you used to be into drama as well? You had that drama class at school, but I never went. You were in amateur plays, too. There were pictures in the newspaper. Do you still act? <laughs> Didn't you like my performance at the supermarket? So that's how you get out of tricky situations. It works, doesn't it? That's my street. Turn down here. I didn't even know that there were people still living here. Weren't they going to pull down those buildings? Not yet. Not yet. Would you believe it? I actually pay rent here. Not that it's very high. Still, it's all I can afford. Would you like to come up for tea? Your tea's delicious. And it's good to share it with someone. Don't you have friends? I traveled for some time and lost track of people. I was thinking. Perhaps I'm crazy, but... Crazy ideas are usually quite creative. Be yourself. You used to say that all the time. I did? Yes. Don't follow the rules blindly. Be yourself. Did you know that I was a cop? Of course I did, all the time. But I didn't know it was you. I share a flat with some people. Um, there's an open room. Wouldn't you like to live with a bunch of hooligans instead of staying alone in a... Slum is the word. The landlady here is a thief, for sure, exploiting helpless old widows. Well then, would you come and live with us? Hmm. All young and delinquent? That sounds good. Well, we don't steal Dorvik albums in supermarkets, but we do break the law in some gentle and friendly ways. Survival. Survival and being ourselves. I'm sure you'll love it. Don't you have to check with your flatmates? I will, I will, but you know what? I'd be surprised if anyone had a problem. There's Mary Ann. You already know her. She was the cashier at the supermarket. Her son, Pablo, he's eight. Um, Chris, he used to be a designer. Out of work now. Uh, Paul is working on the sociology thesis. Um, Jenna is a gardener and a dreamer. The flat is quite big, but all together, we can afford it. Even in the crisis, uh, we manage. We manage.
That was Be Yourself, written by Danielle View, starring Sandy Shaughnessy, Ian Hayes, and Donna Vetters. And now, our serialized program, The Ongoing Adventures of Tammy Jackson, part-time janitor, written by Stephen Thomas. Part 1, Delinquent Delicatessens. Downtown Seattle, 3 a.m. I just finished mopping up a real mess at work. Some guys just can't stomach a good dinner. This fella apparently thought he'd impress his friends with an order of caviar and oysters on the half shell. The oysters were fine, he said, but the fish eggs were just too much. He said he thinks the meal tasted better on the way up. That may be, but you couldn't tell it from the smell. At any rate, I'd had a long day and I was prepared for a good night's sleep. It seems the fates had conspired against me, though. I got to my apartment and found my door hanging open, pieces of wood on the ground saying someone was up to no good, and that someone was just behind the door. Hello, Tammy. It was Ronald Barker of Barker and Sons. Ron was the second of two sons of a famous insurance broker, Jimmy Barker. Give them a chance, any of the three will bark your ear right off. Ron, what brings you to this neck of the woods? I've got trouble, Tammy. Too many terrible troubles to tell of. Ron, unfortunately, was a fan of alliteration. Listen, Ron, it's late, and I have a jigsaw puzzle for a door. Can we make this quick? Tammy, my brother's missing. Missing? Yes, Michael is missing. Missing and missed. Maybe murdered. When did you last see him? 4.44 p.m. Was this at work or elsewhere? We were working on Wednesday. Yes, I know it's Wednesday. Could we please drop the alliteration? Sorry. Can you think of anybody who would have reason to kidnap your brother? Hmm, No one except Jim. Jim Johnson. What does Jim have against your brother? He hates our family. He thinks we got him a raw deal in one of our cases. Jim claims we owe him $2,000, but that's just not true. Have you reported this all to the police? Yes, but they don't see the case going anywhere. They say Mike probably decided to take a few days off. Uh Uh-uh. I heard one of them say the world would be better off. With one less barker. Okay, Ron, I'll see what I can do. I want to check your offices first. Do you have a key I could borrow, or is breaking and entering the preferred method for your company? What? Oh, your door. Yeah, I'm sure your insurance will cover it. Ta-ta, Tammy. With that, Ron was gone, and my door was still in ruins. I wasn't sure quite how I was going to secure the door properly, but luckily most of my valuables had already been stolen. Still, I didn't want my clothes walking off on me, too, so I rigged up a contraption on the door that would make Rube Goldberg proud. Ron and I went way back. We were friends in high school. And by friends, I mean we didn't hate each other. That was about as close as Ron and his brother got to most of the kids. If the brothers weren't downright disliked, they were kept at a distance. Their family name was already a thing of infamy, as many of our parents had either been swindled or were in the process of being swindled by Jim Barker. My dad had been taken for quite a ride, $1,000 a year for a $5,000 life insurance policy. If dad hadn't made it past four years, we were in the green. For some reason I'll never understand, dad kept dropping his money into it 25 years later. The day he passed, Mom and I were $5,000 richer, and still down $20,000.
I didn't hate them for it, though. Most kids did, but my father never got angry with Mr. Barker. Subsequently, it never rubbed off on me, but I can see why someone might feel less than pleasant feelings toward the family. 3.30 a.m., outside the offices of Barker and Sons. There's a picture of a pit bull hanging above my head with signs of having been tagged. Right below the bulldog in faded black spray paint, the words, be careful, they bite, were hastily emblazoned. They could have had the sign repainted, but Jim liked it so much he added it to his business card. I never did get a key from Ron, but luckily I didn't need one. Ron was there waiting for me. Tammy, Dad is gone too. The house is empty. Empty, open, and awful. Open? Someone broke in? No, someone broke out. I was about to ask him to elaborate on that rather odd statement, but just then a car pulled up behind me, a black sedan with no license plate and tinted windows. Whoever drove this car was not in the business of being seen. The passenger window rolled down and five shots were fired. Tammy, look out! Ron and I hit the deck, a slightly useless exercise in caution as the bullets had already flown past us. Then, the vehicle tore off into the night. We both watched the car depart, then hastily rushed to the door of the Barker building. Ron fumbled with his keys, trying multiple times before at last gaining us entrance. We both stumbled into the building, finding the closest piece of furniture to hide behind. We spent several minutes hiding in the lobby, peeking around our respective furniture to the front door, worried that the attackers may return. Soon, though, we both became impatient with the lack of activity and so gave up our hiding spots. Ron moved from hiding behind the couch to sitting on it while I went to close the front door. A quick survey told me that neither of us had sustained injury, but the pit bull had taken one to the eye. I'm sure that Jim would say the wound added character to his sign. That is, if he were still alive. I wondered why Ron had disappeared behind the sofa, but my curiosity was replaced with nausea. Ron was kneeling next to James Barker, or what remained of him. Look, Tammy. It's father. He's... I know, Ron. He's... He's dead. That was The Ongoing Adventures of Tammy Jackson, part-time janitor, part one, delinquent delicatessens. Starring Sari Johnson as Tammy Jackson and A.J. Teshin as Ron. And now, written and performed by Dan Olmschenk, Story of a Kid. Thank you.
circumstances around him like a kaleidoscope women taking off their clothes for his money and his dough Once Upon a Podcast is produced by Ronnie Weiss. Special thanks to Tav Amu, Dan Bontempi, Sharon Burian, Amanda Purnell, David Tabachinsky, and Mistina Wilmasser. For any questions or to get involved, please email me at Ronnie, R-O-N-I, at don'tworry.tv. Oh